know my father, so I know he has good plans for me. And I know your father, and I know he's got good plans for you. How good is it that our God, that no matter how bad we mess things up, that when we humble ourselves and ask for his help, he's there. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. There are even fathers on earth. Fathers, mothers. And kids can go too far and often parents will be done with them. But there is not a thing you can do to go too far from him. What if I'm the person who's, you know, been given over? Has God maybe given over, given me over to the lusts of my heart and he's given up on me? And the thing is, if you're asking that question, the answer is no. If you're asking the question, have I gone too far? Does, is he, has he still got a plan for me? The answer is, no, you haven't gone too far. Yes, he's still got a plan for you. He's a good father, amen. At any point, we can turn around and say yes to him. We're in the season of 21 days of prayer and fasting right now. And um, as I walk into service today, I felt like something's shifting spiritually in our church. I don't know if you felt that, but I definitely felt that. Something's shifting in the authority in our church. It's interesting that the King James says that, um, talking about a demon, that this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. There's something about prayer and fasting that will give a new authority to you, your life, and your church. And as we're praying and as we're fasting, I believe that God is giving our church a new authority that is going to another level, that demons are scared of our church, that ungodly ideologies that come from them are running away from our church, that when the people of God's church go into a cafe, go into a school, go into a workplace, they walk in there with a new authority, amen, that's coming from prayer, that's coming from fasting. We've been set up now to take authority over over the ideologies of the world, over the demons that are attacking the world. We have authority over them. We're not plebs waiting to be told what to do by by the forces of darkness no we've got authority church we got we don't have to be scared oh what if there's sickness oh what if they come after me oh what if this what if that what if he amen we have authority and as I walked into church today I could feel the presence of God and a new authority in the house of God and this kind of authority only comes by prayer and fasting come on church Only by prayer and fasting. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see what God does in this house. Today, this week, the last few days, we've been praying for Eternity Church. And so I wonder right now, while many of us, not all of us, and that's okay, join us next year. Next year, it'll be awesome. Or anytime you want, you you can just fast. Pick a day in the 21 days of prayer and fasting if you want. Just one day, that's fine. One meal, that's fine too. Or join us next year. But many of us are right now in 21 days of prayer and fasting. And this week we've been praying for our church. So I wonder if together right now, we can pray for our church. Would you all lift up your hands right now? Come on. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to be in a house that more than anything wants to honour you. God, we thank you for the privilege that is prayer and fasting, that there is something that we can do to like synchronise our spirit, our body with your spirit. God, thank you for the privilege it is that we can fast to be near to a holy God. God, I just pray for our church as that's what we're praying for this week. God, I pray that the authority of this church would continue to increase. And God, I don't just mean like in courthouses, state houses and white houses, but God, I, I mean that the spiritual authority of this church would just increase and increase and increase to the point where devils and demons are scared to come near anybody in this church. God, I pray that when parents in this church walk into school board meetings, they walk in with a spiritual authority. God, I pray that when police in this church, Lord God, walk into an encounter in the world, they walk into the encounter with a spiritual authority. Lord God, I pray that when, when lawmakers in this church walk into, into, a, into meetings and a spiritual authority, God, they would not go in afraid of re-election. They would not go in afraid of the consequences of man. But Lord God, they go in with a spiritual authority and an ear to hear their Father's voice. God, I pray when we drive, Lord God. I pray when we sow, Lord God. I pray when we sell, Lord God. God, I pray that, that the spirits would minister for the believers like, like it says in your word, Lord God. God, that we would have an authority that comes as we line our hearts and our lives up with your heart and your word, Lord God. And God, I pray you would continue to pour out your favor on our church. Lord God, in finances, yes, but God, even more so than that, Lord God, we are praying and believing for a revival of souls to be saved and transformed by the power of God in this house in Jesus' name. And all those who agree, would you give the Lord five seconds of praise? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. It's a spiritual authority. Amen. Amen. Well, right now, I'm not preaching. Um, uh, and so, well, I did just then, but I'm not supposed to be. But uh, we have a guy who's basically become like a grandfather of the house. And... Um, and I can say that because he's got kids my age and he's got a lot of grandkids. Um, but he's like a grandfather. He's kind of like a de facto elder, you know. And um, he's, lived his wife in, he's lived his life with his wife in such a way, in such a way that God has given him the privilege of ministering to us and many other churches all over this nation, kind of like a teaching pastor. I think this is his third time here in 12 months. His name is Scott Hagen. He's an incredible man of God. We love him. Would you give him a welcome like you'd welcome your grandfather, like you would welcome an elder, like you'd welcome the man of God? Thank you, mate. Now, I've never been introduced that way before, so great to see everybody. Uh, just been drinking it all in. Uh, from behind that little curtain right there. Just uh, faith and the whole 
enthusiasm of this house on this cold Des Moines morning. Uh, man, thank you for coming and filling the house up like this at the early service. It's, it's beautiful. So God bless you. You can be seated. We want to get into God's word today. It's great to be back. One of my favorite places and spaces in all of America is right here in this place with Pastor Jesse and his family and with you. Um, I think I preached here last July and then I came and did a, a men's event. How many were at the men's night here we did in November? <laughs> It's, it's about the sandals, it's not about the sword. And uh, becoming men of worship and men of God's presence, not in a passive way that we lose our strong masculinity as men. Great men of power and faith and courage are men that worship God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Somebody say, amen. That's not to leave the ladies out. Uh, we are all people of the sandal. And the idea was that he removed, Joshua removed his sandals. Um, and he, instead of taking up the sword and it starts with the sandals and then it goes to the sword. So anyway, good to see everybody. And, uh, this morning I wish my bride was here. This was <clears throat> somewhat of a, a last moment. I get a chance on occasion, a pastor will call and say, Hey, we had a little shift in the schedule. And I just happened to have a window, um, between a very, very busy started this year. I'm headed to Ethiopia here in a couple weeks and going to be preaching in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania next Friday night at a men's conference. And then we'll be in Nashville the following Friday night for a marriage conference and then headed to Ethiopia. Um, but it's, it's always wonderful to come back to Des Moines. My whole family is just, was born just south of here in Grand River, Iowa. I've told you about that. How many know where Grand River is? That's where our family cemetery, the young family cemetery, uh, the young family is uh, there in De, uh, Grand River, Iowa. I think I, it's a small town. It's the smallest dot they allow on a map, even in the state of Iowa. It's, it's like, this is it. If it's smaller than this, it doesn't make even the tiniest of a dot on a map. Um, I remember I took my mom and I went there about eight years ago for the first time in my life. She grew up uh, coming to Des Moines on a train from Anacortes, Washington. She told me all about the tea room at Yonkers when she was a little girl and just Des Moines, Iowa. And I finally came to this mythical, amazing place about a decade ago. And we rented a car and we went down to Grand River, Iowa. And she had like a 90 or 190 year old cousin there. I forget. I think it was 190. And <clears throat> I think his name was Elmer. He got on the phone and I said, I said, um, Uncle, you just call anybody an uncle in the family because once it goes out several circles, like, is that a second cousin, third uncle? Just call him Uncle, uncle Elmer. Hey, we're coming into town. I'm bringing mom. Um, where should I meet you? He goes, well, just take the country road. And when you get to Grand River, I'll meet you there. I said, I, I know, but where in Grand River? He said, well, you, it's okay. Just get to Grand River. I'll be there. And so... <laughs> And sure enough, man, there was no like meet at the cross street, the stop sign, the this uh, parking lot. You just kind of got into Grand River past the little sign and there was Elmer just kind of standing there. And uh, he was, and that's how small this town is. So, but it was a wonderful experience and I love coming to Iowa and this has become a kind of a, this cosmic mystical uh, place that I come to that really taps into uh, where I, in my own life came from. And uh, I'll get more into that in just a minute, but we're going to be in Haggai, the book of Haggai. 
Haggai chapter 2. So I'm going to give you a chance to get into the index, front of your Bible, find the page where the minor prophet Haggai is located. It's only a two-chapter book. And I want to talk to you this morning about the power of God to build two houses, not just one house, but to build two houses. We don't believe that the Lord can build two houses at the same time. I'm going to show you the secret of the kingdom as you head into 2024 and don't get this year too far in our rearview mirrors. We're getting our footing and our priorities centered through the fast. Many churches do that. It's a beautiful, beautiful discipline. But before this year starts to gain its momentum and starts to slip away, <clears throat> I want to take you to Haggai uh, chapter 1 and give you, I think, one of the most powerful kingdom principles that I have ever seen in Scripture. And it's actually become a recent message of mine. Um, I probably have shared this in about three locations and the Lord is just breathing on this teaching. And I really do believe it's going to be something that lasts forever in your soul uh, today. I brought an updated picture of my family. This just got taken this week. Uh, I got, we got the, the photographer gave it to us this week. And that is our crew. That's in our, our backyard. Uh, it's kind of winterized back there. This was taken over Christmas holiday with my beautiful bride. And we were blessed. And I wish you could understand my first family in relationship to my second family. Um, I have a love. Christ did a lot of healing. I have a lot of love for uh, my father who has passed away. About 20 years ago, he died in his 60s. My mom passed away probably uh, three years ago, two and a half years ago. She was the angel of the family in many, many ways. So both of our parents have now died. All of our grandparents are gone. Um, Karen and I are now the oldest in the family tree. There's nobody older than us left. So it's an odd feeling because, you know, you, you're growing up, you're growing older and life's like a conveyor belt, but there's still some old folks in front of you, you know, that are going off the conveyor belt. Uh, <laughs> And then one of my uncles, he dropped over the conveyor belt edge and I realized there was nothing in front of me anymore <coughs> that I was right. I was the oldest person now on the conveyor belt. It's how many know what I'm talking about? It's an odd feeling to now be the oldest person in the whole family thing. And so our four kids are up there, their spouses, you say, oh, isn't that perfect? What a nice life you have. My life sucks compared to your life up there. Oh, friends, please. Let's not interpret uh, a testimony that way. Don't, don't, don't diminish the testimony of the Lord that way. Um, grew up in a lot of madness. Matter of fact, show the second picture, if you will. Uh, this was always, did you get another picture I sent you right there? So that was my house when I was a kid, uh, one of the 27 that I lived in. And that little house, I took that picture last year. I made my way to Cedro Woolley where I was raised. Nothing's changed. Um, those four mossy steps. So I was, I was in preschool in this house, but I vividly remember it. Those four mossy steps, the, the, the window right here, I remember there was a, like a little half couch right there. I remember laying on my dad's chest as he was uh, worked at the lumber mill and we were watching...
And I remember my tricycle on this, this sidewalk here. And I'm 61, so we're talking half a century ago. Um, I can remember all the cracks in the sidewalk, I remember. But I also remember the fighting, the screaming, and all the horror that went on in that house as a little kid. Um, there were four of us little kids living there. I was third in the birth order. And I actually slept, Don't you're gonna say that's not true. I did, I slept in the closet of the house over in this little room behind that bush. All the kids slept in that one room there and my, my mom would put, you know, some towels or some padding. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't cruel, but it was, it was always warm, it was always comfortable. But it is amazing how life how this life unfolds and how things become over time. And I'm, I'm somewhat of a philosopher. I, I'm a nostalgist. I love thinking about and interpreting and reflecting as I think about the future. Um, but I, I, I really do enjoy history and thinking about the favor and the goodness of God. Remember, memories are designed to keep you grateful, not angry. God gave us the capacity for memory to make us thankful and worshipful and filled with gratitude, not filled with regret and not filled with unfinished business. When the blood of Jesus washes over and washes through <coughs> our existence, it helps us reconcile things that are disjointed, all the floating space debris of childhood that is so disjointed and there's no narrative to our life. The blood of Jesus just grabs all of that looseness and all of that stuff that's floating and just the devil uses it to haunt you and taunt you and to lie to you and tell you you were this or that and to make you upset at your upbringing. Man, I got to tell you, everything I am today is because the Lord redeemed the chaos he gave it all a new definition and a new application. And there is not a person on the planet I can talk to. And I traveled the world. There's not a person <clears throat> that I encounter that I do not have an instantaneous connection with their struggle because of the chaos of my own upbringing and how the Lord has redeemed it and cleansed it and took away the sting of all that garbage that we go through as, as a child. Now let's go back to the other photo real quick, the family photo. Um, and so the, the life, this thing right here that you see um, is nothing like the first family. And it's because Savior and then a series of godly families started showing up in my life, I was very impressionable and I saw life as a 15 year old, what it could look like when I'm 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 and 70 because I was in a church that was giving me all of the template for the life ahead. I wasn't lost in the dark trying to figure out what tomorrow could look like if I would make the right kinds of wise decisions now that my sins had been forgiven and the power of slavery broken in my life because of 
Christ, that I didn't have to present myself as an instrument of the devil because Jesus had set me free and given me a new willpower and a new volition to be able to offer my life as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Did I always do it? Absolutely not. But as time unfolded, I did it more and more and more and more. I was trending the right way because I was in a discipleship environment and people were praying with me and teaching me how to memorize scripture so that I could emerge from all of that madness and be able to sow seeds of righteousness in eternity. And it's still, it's not perfect. Of course it's not. Um, but that family, uh, my wife and I, and this isn't a pitch for a book. We have a brand new book that is coming out um, by this late spring. It's on marriage. It's our first one we've ever done. We've really encapsulated it. It's called No Ordinary Promise. And it's on uh, our, our, our principles and the things we've learned from people and from the Lord it's a beautiful gift book. It's filled with the most beautiful romantic photography. It's kind of a gift book. And then woven through all the beautiful pictures of life and marriage is just ideas and principles and thoughts and short stories and little soliloquies on married life. So that'll be coming out here soon, soon, soon. I can't wait for that time to come. Uh, how many of you are on Instagram? Let me see your in all the Instagrammers. Um, this isn't a pitch for followers, however, Every week I put out something I started 13 weeks ago. I've done 13 episodes. It's called the five-minute leadership class. And I'm, I have about 10,000 people a week now that are just uh, viewing this and sharing it. And it's all free, uh, but it's on Instagram. So if you want to follow that on Instagram, it's Dr. Period Scott Hagen, Dr. Period Scott Hagen, H-A-G-A-N. And then I think that, and you can go back and look at those episodes. I think there'll be a blessing and a strength to your walk with the Lord. Amen. Okay, let's get into God's word here together. I just want to shoot straight with you as I lead into Haggai with two references from the book of Hebrews. Two of the most important church verses in the Bible are found in the book of Hebrews. One is found in Hebrews 3, 13. The other church verse is found in Hebrews 10, 25. Hebrews chapter 10, <clears throat> the theme of that chapter is to avoid apostasy or the great falling away. When this cataclysmic detachment from faith by literally probably millions of people who, who looked like they were in, to see you're falling away from the Lord. One of the cornerstone elements of the apostasy to create the culture was the forsaking of the assembling together of the saints. Now I know that I'm preaching to the choir, which means that we get that. That's why we're here, of course. But you cannot forsake something that you don't currently practice. So this is actually the crowd to hear this verse. Do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves as is the habit of some. One of the diabolical aims of the COVID era was to destroy people's patterns in the local church. 
Look what has happened. <coughs> There's millions of people who are meeting less and less, not more and more. And the Bible says, all the more as you see the day approaching. The day of what? The return of the Lord <coughs> with all of its collateral dynamics. Spirit of Antichrist, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of dynamic that is surrounding the day of the Lord. And the scripture says that we need to meet more and more, not less and less. There's no doubt we got millions of people who are now meeting less and less because of what happened in 2020 and beyond. The scripture says, do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves. This assembling together of yourselves is not about some magical thing that happens through proximity. It's not about, hey, just get in the same space with other Christians on a regular basis. The gathering together is not about proximity. It's about participation. The sharing together of something that you have brought to contribute, whether that be the food at the agape feast, whether that be the finances that we bring, that we share. I'm bringing something. And remember, the reason that Jesus overturned the tables in the temple was not because there was a monetary exchange going on in the church, friends. The reason that Jesus is because this is what had happened. This is how it deteriorated. People were headed to the temple empty-handed. And they purchased a sacrifice in the lobby of the temple. Their offering was an afterthought. The money exchangers in the lobby of the temple were providing a way for people to just cobble together something to offer as they were pulling into the parking lot. The reason that broke the heart of Christ is because they had no relationship with their offering. They were supposed to prepare the offering from home. They were to have a relationship. As they were between where they parked their camel and walked into the sanctuary. Well, I got to figure this out real quick. Hey, 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 oh. And Jesus said, this is all wrong. This offering should have been raised and prepared in your home. You're bringing something from your home to the house of the Lord. You're not doing a money exchange in the lobby to buy an animal on your way through the door so you can look like there's something real going on. When we pay that tithe or offer that tithe, that offering to the Lord, the reason it's pleasing and acceptable is because we have a relationship to that offering. Do you understand? It came from home to the house. It's not an exchange happening at the last moment for you walk through the doors. Now there's times I've forgotten and I remember, yes, but the ultimate offering that I give is an offering that I have a relationship with that offering. 
that I brought from a very sincere place. It's from the heart. I'm not just figuring out how to buy it at the last second. How many are grateful for the house of the Lord? God is good. Do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves. Understand that that disruption, that scattering, that thinning out of my association with the church, it's not just again attendance. It's not about the proximity of us being in the same space. It's about the participation of my life in this space. And the Bible says it should be more and more, not less and less as the day of the Lord approaches. The other verse is Hebrews 3.13. So Hebrews 10.25 and Hebrews 3.13 are the great church verses. Day after day, as long as it's called today, lest your heart become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I don't know about you, but if I miss a Sunday literally in the house of the Lord, that happens. I'm not a legalist. I'm not walking around like a police officer. I'm not doing it for you, but I tell you what happens. When I miss it, I feel my heart hardening because of the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is just tempting me with something and I don't feel the strength that I had. And the scripture tells us implicitly in Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another day after day. It's not even week after week or week by week, it's day after day. Lest your hearts become hard. Man, have we seen because of the scattering through COVID, the less and less that we come together in the house of the Lord. And when we do come, we're just buying some dove in the lobby before we walk in, throwing up something at the last second that we have no relationship. Nothing's been prepared that I'm bringing to the house of the Lord. That's why Jesus was so ticked out in the lobby, flipping the tables. Not because money was being exchanged, it had to do with the kind of offering that was actually being offered. Haggai chapter one, here we go. Man, I just, I didn't mean to preach at you so hard right there. That was, but we are, we are family here. It says on August 29th, it gives the date. Speaking from the New uh, Living Translation, Haggai chapter one. <clears throat> In the second year of King Darius's reign, this would have been 520 BC, before Christ, before the common area, BCE, however you want to frame it. On August 29th, the second year of King Darius's reign, Darius was the Medo-Persian king. He was second. Cyrus was the first king. He was the two arms that Daniel interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar in his dream after the head of gold, Babylon, had come to an end. He said, the next phase in this giant that you saw was this chest um, that had two arms. And the reason it had two arms is because there would be two kingdoms together, the Medo-Persian Empire. Cyrus was the first king. His leadership had passed. And Darius, uh, the Persian, he became...
over in about 536 BC. So in the second year of Darius, he started in 522, now it's 520. So 16 years have passed since, since Zerubbabel led a host of Jews back to rebuild the city after their 70 years of captivity. <clears throat> so after 70 years, they went back to Jerusalem to rebuild. They had a good opening two years, a lot of progress, and then it stalled. It stalled for 14 years. And over those, that 14-year period, something shifted in the Jewish people. So now in the second year of Darius, now it's 520. They, they, they went back in 536. Now it's 520. So 16 years, two good years, 14 years of stalled efforts. Haggai steps up to prophesy on August 29th. There's always a date attached to it, friends. A day in which everything changes. The day you got saved, the day you met your spouse, the day your kids were born. God ordains a day. Maybe this is your day you talk about for the rest of your life. I remember, what is today, January 28th? Is today the 28th? So maybe January 28th, 2024, is a day that's so significant in your life, it's almost like a Bible day. August 29th, 520. It says, the word of the Lord... The Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel and the governor of Judah, Sheltiel, and to Jeshua, the high priest. So the Lord spoke to the leadership of Israel, governor, the priest. The Lord said, I have a word for you. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says, verse 2. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. That's what the people are saying. They spiritualized their stagnant condition. They used, they theologically sanitized in their life. And in the nation, he said, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. He says, verse three, then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house is in ruins? And the word there in some translations is paneled, paneled houses. Now I grew up in the 1900s back in the... I'm from the 1900s. And back in the 1970s of the 1900s, paneling was the bomb. We all grew up with paneling. My dad tried to panel everything. Because you could buy a big sheet of paneling for five bucks, but he never finished one room that he started paneling. Does anybody remember the half paneled basements? We're from the same era. So in here, paneling had to do with a type of construction material that was, that was viewed as elite. 
It was luxury to have a paneled house. So the prophet shows up 16 years after Israel has returned, two opening years, a lot of mojo, a lot of momentum. 14 years comes to a standstill. August 29th, he stands up and preaches. Says to the people, he says to the priest, he says to the governor, why are you living in luxurious homes when my house lies in ruins? Now, friends, this is not a prohibition against your house. This is not the Lord throwing shade on blessing and on a house. That's not the intent of the text. Watch this. He says, my house lies in ruins. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. He doesn't say, let's analyze my house. He says, exhibit A is your own life. It's not working. How's this working for you is what the prophet said. Let's take a look at your own personal life for a moment. When you have shifted over time the priority from his house to only your house. You see, the Lord has the power to build two houses, church. Here's the key. We just have to make certain that his house comes first. And if we put his house first, he will then build our house. That's it. That's the message right there of this whole sermon. Is that the Lord has the power to build two houses. This is not a conflict between the Lord prospering and you prospering. It only becomes a conflict when you neglect his house and put every ounce of your effort into your own personal life. The luxury of your own life. They didn't intend to do that. But after two years, the building of the Lord's kingdom just became more difficult than they anticipated. So they lost their priority of the Lord's kingdom. They said, you know what? I'm just going to pump all my efforts into my own house at this point in time. And the house of the Lord came to a standstill. And everybody's personal concern took priority over the sacred concern of the kingdom. That was the problem. And he stands up on the 29th of August, 520 BC, and he preaches. The governor heard it. The priest heard it. The people heard it. Look, look what he says. This is powerful. One of the most powerful verses in the scripture. He doesn't say, look it, the sanctuary's not complete and we still got drywall and lumber and we still got a, you know, no parking. That's not what he had him look at. <coughs> he said, I want you to look at your own personal life and see how the misplaced priorities of life, how's that working for you? He says this. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you're never satisfied. You drink, but you're always thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear, 
as if you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. He goes, just look at your own existence. How is this priority system playing out for you personally right now? He goes, man, you wear great clothes, but man, you're always cold. You eat, man, the best, but you're, you're hungry. You drink the finest wine and water, but you never, you're always thirsty, aren't you? Man, you plant vineyards, you're busting your tail to get ahead. But the reward or the harvest never seems to match the seed. And when you do bring home a paycheck, he said, you stick it in your pocket, but it's like there's holes in the pocket. How many are sick and tired of living that way? He's not saying, let's go out to the church building project and see how it's going. That's not what he has them look at. He says, the evidence of a misplaced priority in life can be seen in your own personal existence. No matter how hard you're trying, this ain't flying. You're living a life of craving and aggression, alienation, which always results in insomnia, friends. You lay awake at night. Do you know insomnia is a spiritual result of anxiety? The Bible says in Psalms chapter 90, 91, David said, I'm not afraid of the arrow that flies by day or the terrors by night. Whether it's at noon or midnight, I'm not afraid of either of arrows coming at me and I can be in the midnight, middle of the night and I'm not twisting and turning with insomnia because of the terrors that fly by night. And we could give an altar call right here. I have a tough time sleeping at times. I got so many burdens and concerns, but I will immediately think of the promise of God in the Psalms. It says, Lord, you said, I would not be afraid of arrows at day of the day or terrors by night. You give your beloved rest. When you live a servant, sacrificial, distributed life, not a life of acquisition, but a life of distribution. The result is rest, not insomnia. But when we live aggressive and we alienate and we crave and we hoard, I promise you, friends, you're not sleeping at night. I promise you without, there's nothing wrong with a little melatonin. I use melatonin. I'm 61. I chew my gummy of melatonin. I'm grateful. Forgot to bring it last night. I'm two hours off. Of course, sometimes a cup of tea helps me rest. But fundamentally, I could slam down 20 melatonin gummies 
drink all kinds of decaffeinated, soothing, relaxing tea and lay awake for four hours because the terrors by night are pounding my head. So Haggai says, take a look. The governor, the priest, the people. Life is not satisfying, is it? Why wasn't it satisfying? Because they had simply put their house first and the Lord's house second. We have to keep the house of the Lord first in our life. And God, I promise you, will unleash his power to build the second house. And that house can have paneling, friends. You could be blessed. That little house I showed you, the Lord opened up a door. My wife and I, we have three acres of property. We're not rich people at all. But we have been faithful with our finances and tithing over a long period of time. I tell my kids, I'm 61, son. <clears throat> You're 30. Take a deep breath. Stay faithful. Mom and I are 61. It, 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 just let it, let it, let, let the Lord multiply your life. Don't crave and grasp and acquire at the expense of the house of the Lord. So church 2024, we serve a God who can build two houses, his house and your house. You just got to make certain that his house comes first. Can somebody say amen? amen? Man, if you'll get that in your spirit and keep those church verses alive, Hebrews 3.13 and Hebrews 10.25, I'm not going to do this less and less, but I'm actually going to do it more and more is what the Bible says. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And I'm not talking about showing up and buying some dove in the lobby of the church so I can participate in an offering that I have no relationship with. That tie, that offering that you bring, you have a relationship with that. That's your time in your life and your trust and your faith in God. And I know we live in a digital convenient world where we just click check and breaking out the the um, ledger binder that I kept my whole life with my bills and my tithe at the top. Bringing my kids in. One thing we used to do is when the kids were little, they would rotate paying bills with dad. My kid's six, seven years old. I said, okay, here's what happens. And I would, my kids would watch mom and I at the top of our ledger sheet was our tithing to the Lord. They would see us write out that check, take it with us to church, place it in the offering. We had a relationship with the offering. It wasn't just this digital transaction. Now, I use digital giving, I'm not dogging that. But I have to think about, do I have a relationship with the offering that I'm giving to the Lord? That's what the Lord was after. 
something that costs us something because we have relationship with it. It's not a transaction that just happens at the last moment. Okay, here we go, real fast. We're almost done. Here we go, here we go, here we go. So you've done these things. He said, you are placing your house ahead of my house. It's not working for you. They listened to this sermon on August 29th. <coughs> says, then Zerubbabel, <coughs> I believe in verse 12. And the high priest, the whole remnant, they began. So the sermon on the 29th, it worked. The preaching, the prophetic word of the Lord on the 29th of August, man, it pierced through, it worked. It says, they obeyed the words of Haggai, whom the Lord had sent to the people. And I love this. It says, then the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel. He'd been after this thing for 16 years. He's the one that led them all back in the first place. But his, his enthusiasm had dipped. It says, then the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of the priest and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. And they began to work on the house of God, the Lord of heaven's armies, on September 21st in the second year of the king's reign. So from August 29th to September 21st, in our, Gregory, in our calendar, we would characterize that 30 days, half September, April, June, then November, all the rest have 31. So August, we would say it had 31 days. So you can pretty much say three weeks. In three weeks, they went from a nation of misplaced energy. All of them. From the governor to the priest, man, everybody had just moved into this other, I'm just going to build my own life, man. I'm going to go to church but I really am about building my house. Nothing wrong with that. As long as the house of the Lord comes first. We're not forsaking assembling together. We have a relationship that we bring from home with the offering that we offer this place. It isn't just a quick little digital thing that we pay like a subscription or for an app or something that's just on all of our automatic payroll deductions. I'm not, I, I use that stuff too, but I, I had to really think about what's my relationship with this offering that I'm bringing to the house because the Lord has the power to build two houses. Let's stop fighting between the two houses. The Lord wants to bless your life. He wants to prosper your life. I'm not sleeping in a closet anymore, friends. The Lord has been able to, I see my grandkids running. We have a pond with bass in it and our little go-karts and a swing under a big oak tree. You don't think at 61 as a grandpa, I don't enjoy that or I think about being on my tricycle on that little sidewalk. But I will say this, that the arrival and the harvest of that 
is showing up now in my life at 60. Okay. I craved after things in my 30s, tried to manufacture, hack my way toward that life. It just never worked. I always ended up, man, I'm cold, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I got holes in my pockets. And I would realize I have misplaced his kingdom for my kingdom. And every time I put his kingdom first, every single time I put his kingdom as first seek ye first his kingdom, my own house began to activate in ways that I could not manufacture. How many glad you're in the house of the Lord today? Let's all stand together in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How many will say that that makes sense? The word of God makes sense. Not the sermon, but the word of God. I, th that story is something I think I'm going to remember the rest of my life. I, I'm praying that for you. Pastor's coming out here in about 60 seconds. I just want to ask anybody in this house. Man, you've come to the early service and people still find the Lord in the early service. Can we close our eyes for a minute and say, Pastor Scott, I'm here today, man. I... I'm not a Christian. I need my sins forgiven. I need a relationship with Christ that is real. I need to be born again. I know I'm asking this very quick because we have another service. See, Pastor, I'm here today. Would you remember me in my closing prayer? I need Jesus Christ to come into my life. And we're not doing some little flippant, small print stuff at the end just to cover our basis here. I'm asking a serious question. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? If you were to die today, do you have an assurance of peace? So I don't know. Today's your moment of knowing. Pastor, would you pray for me in this closing moment? I need Jesus Christ in my life. Just put your hand up high. Just put it up high. That's right. That's right. That's right. Man, I'm seeing people of every... Oh, my goodness. Okay. This is powerful. Keep it up high. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray from our heart right now. The whole room, I want, I want us to pray with these six or seven people. Dear Jesus, come into my life. I need you. Forgive me, Jesus, of my sin. The sins I've committed against you. The sins I've committed against people. And heal me, Jesus, of the pain, sins people have committed against me. I forgive them, Jesus, as you have forgiven me. Now fill me, Jesus, with hope and love, because I believe you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross you rose from the dead and broke the power of Satan. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life. I'm yours forevermore. Amen and amen. Can we welcome these wonderful people? Amen. God is good. Pastor, would you come? God bless.
Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.